Hi everyone, I'm Kara Scott and welcome to The Heart of Poker sponsored by 8 at 8 Poker. It's a podcast that looks at the heart and soul of the people that we love to root for in our game. Now this is not a poker strategy podcast. Instead, I use a modified list of the questions from the 36 questions to fall in love study developed about 25 years ago by psychologists as part of an experiment to see if they could make total strangers fall in love with a kind of shortcut for quickly getting to know someone on a deeper level. And my guest this time is Jonathan Van Fleet, also known as Ape Style an American professional poker player and one of that group of like the real original online stars of poker. He plays the highest of online high rollers and through his career and his personal life has just really shown how talented and determined he is. So thank you so much for coming on, John. Happy to be here. <clears throat> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Uh, we don't know each other super well, obviously, but poker is a pretty small community and we've played against each other and I've always enjoyed chatting with you for sure. Yeah, you know how when you when you kind of when you meet someone and start talking, how you feel, um, like a click, like a similar yeah. energy. That that's what I felt like when I talked to you. That's um, cool. Even from our, our couple times speaking to each other, I was like, yeah, I really like her. That's that's cool. I love that. It's it's funny because I'm going to tell you a story about I think the first time we ever spoke, <laughs> and you're not probably going to know this, but it was at the World Series at one of the World Series events, some side event, I think. I'm not even sure when, like. 12 years ago, 14 years ago, who knows. Um, and we were sitting at the same table and I knew who you were anyways, but I had no idea. Then I was sitting next, not next to you, but I looked over at you and you actually look an incredible amount like um, someone that I, I loved very much and who had actually passed not long before that oh, poker game. No. Yeah. And it was, it was really intense to be sitting there for pretty much the whole day and kind of, I kept kind of trying not to stare at you, but I think I was. <laughs> so I always kind of wondered if it if it had been a little weird for you on your side of it, because I was just sort of sitting there quietly at the end of the table, just kind of staring at you. And it was really, yeah, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just, it was very intense. It was, it was actually um, someone I'd been married to. So like it was, it was kind of wild. So there you go. I mean, That's how we met. <laughs> <laughs> You hadn't told me that 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 he had passed. Yeah, um, I was just like, "Well, Kara Scott just said that I like that I looked like someone that was good enough to marry marry Kara Scott." So like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I had said that even at the table. I kind of wondered because, yeah, like kind of those intense moments. I don't always remember exactly what I've said. It's sort of like that kind of roar or blur in your head where you're just like, whoa, <laughs> this thing is happening. But yeah. I so remember pretty vividly go. though that table. I mean, I know that I know, I know that Tony Dunst was at the table. <gasps> it was that table. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because that I also remember for another reason because I was kind of – I mean, I was a little thrown, on, honestly, at that table. And then I remember being in a hand with Tony and thinking we were alone in the hand and saying something before I folded. And then after the hand, he was like, there was someone else in the hand and that was really not cool. And I just felt like such an, like such an ass. And it's always kind of stuck with me. Like, and it's one of the things I always tell people when they're starting out in poker is like, be really careful that you know that you're not saying anything if someone else is still in a hand and yada, yada. Because I literally still cringe when I think about it. I actually made some sort of like five things not to do at the poker table video last year. And it was one of them. That was exactly that table. <laughs> that table was intense, man. <laughs> that was that was an intense day. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny though, as, as people like that, I guess that are just like trying our best to not do harm in the world and and, yeah. and and like, you know, at least when we're playing poker, be ethical. 
Mm. That that kind of stuff, like like when you make a mistake like that, you really yeah. feel like such an ass. And like, right. I can't tell you how many times that I've like folded out a turn yes. or done something ridiculous live, yeah. and I just feel like such a dink because I'm like, <laughs> you're a professional. But yeah, it, in fact, I talk about it. Um, like when I when I uh, the first like one of these final tables I busted out of, I was like, I think I folded out a turn like twice oh, a day. Man, <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of an intense situation, even if you're used to playing poker, like an enormous amount and you play a lot, especially if you play it a lot online, then playing live can be, I don't know, like you have less to focus on because you're not playing multiple tables, but then that can almost be harder, I think, for some players because then your mind just kind of wanders a little bit. And then you do something like folding out a turn or, you know, not checking to see who else might still have cards in hand. And yeah, it's weird. I think we just have to give ourselves and each other a little bit more slack and leeway to like make a mistake, recognize a mistake, make it better. And then it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, and it's so weird. Like, like, cause people do, they're pretty harsh about it too. And it's yes. like everybody, it, why are people so harsh to other people about things that everybody does? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's so right. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm part of it too, but mm. like, I mean, I really do think though, <laughs> that it makes more sense to, you know, just try to, to, teach each other and well you know what i'm gonna back up mm. being chided at the table <laughs> certainly it worked for you. yes like, yeah for I'm me too man i still remember yeah. it and <laughs> it was yeah. a decade ago <laughs> yeah exactly um i'm actually but, flushing right now like my like i'm blushing from the like it's that intense that is wild to me to See, think about me, it's, it's it's not so much anymore like i used yeah. to um like online like um i i also like online first of all i think it my my strengths come out because i right. hyper focus and it forces me to just i'm like super add but it, it forces me to stay mm-hmm. on what i'm doing live i get really bored and yeah. like it just like there's a lot of things about live that like don't actually um Enhance like my, like my 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 strengths aren't like really coming out uh, right, live. but at least I feel like that. Also, because there's two different people for me. There's like like this like cold analytical poker player that's very cutthroat, mm-hmm. and then there's social me who's like warm and trying to uh, connect. And yeah, it's a little hard for me to bounce back and forth between the two. Mm-hmm. So um, there's yeah. that too. That's a hard balance. I, I definitely struggled with that a ton, especially when I first started playing poker live, because I just found it really fascinating to be sitting at this table with all these people and everyone had a different story. And I, you know, and it really distracted me. And I found myself and I was trying to figure out my role too, like how to balance between being a poker ambassador and being a mm-hmm. poker player. Cause I've never been a professional poker player. I don't you know, I've never called myself one um, because that would be kind of ridiculous. I see poker players who are professional all the time and I interview them and and I get to play a lot. Like I play more than, than or I used to play more than the recreational player would normally play. But like, yeah, I was thinking, how much do I balance that between like being friendly at the table and getting to know people and then actually playing poker? And it definitely didn't play to my strengths either. <laughs> I was <laughs> constantly distracted and yeah. But I do miss it. Like I haven't played live poker now in two years. I was in Madrid, I think, for an event. Yeah, for a live event two years ago in February. And no I haven't way. played live poker since. So I do oh. really miss it. 
Yeah. Um, do you have any plans for like this World Series or anything like that? Yeah, the plan is to be there. I'm going to be working the main event um, and I'm I'm excited and I'm also a little nervous. I'll be honest, mm-hmm. like um, living in Italy, our kind of response to the pandemic was pretty different from the American response. So it can really change how you view things, right? Like what where you the- live. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you know, I feel one thing is like the way that you you started off the podcast, I was like, dang, um, we're going to go deep with these questions. And I feel like right now we are kind of surface, but I also am yeah. interested in knowing how uh, <laughs> Italy is, is different in their response to uh-huh. um, COVID. I think we, because we were the, one of the first countries in sort of the Western world that was hit um, in Europe. And certainly, like, I remember being in lockdown first and talking to people in Canada and the States and saying, like, no, literally, this is coming to you guys. And having people be like, no, no, this is weird. I can't believe you're going through this. And I was like, no, no, you will be too. You really need to prepare. And nobody kind of expected it. And Italy is got hit pretty hard. And I mean, mm-hmm, a I lot, that. a lot of people died. And it was it was intense. And so our lockdowns were a lot more intense and the response to it is still pretty intense. Like you still, it's, it's mandated by law to wear masks inside everywhere. And we've never had that relax. And for me, that's quite um, comfortable because I have a a daughter who's too young to get vaccinated and who has a lung issue. (laughs) So like, oh yeah, like her, her doctors are like this, you need to be super careful. You really do. This is extremely dangerous for her. So to be able to go out and get groceries and whatever, you know, with people in masks, it it makes it so much easier for me. So going to Vegas is going to be Mind blowing. Like, I, I can't even quite wrap my head around what it's going to be like to be inside with that many people <laughs> without masks on. Like, I've spent the last basically the last two years in isolation in a foreign country without having seen one friend that was mine or a member of my family, really, except for the people I was living with. So wild. Mm. Yeah. I'm a little nervous, I'll be honest, but you know, that's mm. life. So. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah. Of okay. Course, of course. Like, like, and also, like, there's not that much difference between nervousness and excitement. Mm-hmm. You know exactly. <laughs> like, I always say that too. It's the same kind of physical response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, for instance, I um, coming into Vegas this year, like being my first year back since for years, and um, first time being there since streaming. Oh. I wasn't ready for like well i knew it was gonna be different but like Mm -hmm. i just had like a lot of people coming up to me and like yelling Mm -hmm. my name and 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 like it was sweet it was all love right but Mm -hmm. but like it was still um not what you're used to because you're used to sort of like this feeling of anonymity everywhere you go right and instead it felt like um yeah not that Mm. yeah did (laughs) it change did it change how you acted do you think like um no no that that was the main thing for me is that I was like or I was like how am I going to deal with this and I was like Mm. um people just hang out with you while you stream all day long they know you like you can't you can't hide who you are (laughs) (laughs) um so basically uh just be you yeah, you know, maybe a little bit nicer, open and mm-hmm. version of me, but like <laughs> um, still, still just um, myself. But it is this feeling of having to be on, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's. Uh, there were a couple of days where I was just like 
it took me like three or four hours to make to leave my place because I just felt like anxiety about it. Really? What do you do when that kind of happens? Do you have anything that you like a ritual you go to or something that kind of helps you deal with that? Usually it's the easy answer to anything is just breathing. Yeah. The most part. Yeah. Um, and also just realizing that, you know, like, what am I worrying about exactly? And it's right. like, um, I'm, I'm worried about this sort of like what people see, mm-hmm. like this sort of ego construction of what, you know, of how I present myself and yeah. who cares? What is that? anyway? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think I just relax into it a little bit, real, like realize that it's just me building things up in my head and mm-hmm. realize that also my purpose in life is really um, in the end to try to, to touch lives positively and to mm-hmm. give love. And this is allowing me to do that. And these are the mm-hmm. people that have, that have paid for my products and, and supported me. So um, if I have to, you know, <laughs> Like if I don't get to wear headphones at the table sometimes or keep my head yeah. down, um, it's it's a it's a it's a fair price to pay. Right. I think it makes such a difference that it feels like to me, anyways, that a lot more people are talking about you know being anxious and what we do when we're anxious or feeling things that aren't. I don't know. I feel like maybe ten years ago it was really important to always present this front of like unbreakability or unflinchable, you know, whatever strength kind of. And I think that was not the most healthy kind of thing. Um, and I, I think I did it for sure. I a hundred percent did. I was super private and very like bland. (laughs) I was the interviewer who just kind of never talked about themselves as well. Mm -hmm. And now I just am so grateful. And I don't know if it's partly the pandemic and the fact that a lot of people are dealing with mental health issues right now that have come up because of it or have been exacerbated Mm -hmm. because of it. And I just think it's so healthy to be able to talk about it like this normal thing because it is. It's such a normal thing. <laughs> and, everybody uh, has. Yeah, right? everybody. <laughs> and the real strength is in being able to, yeah, consider it a normal thing and to talk about it, I think. That's what I'm starting. Like, we're going to get into maybe a little too, um, you know, hippie on my end. But I, I, I feel <laughs> that. The, the older I get, the more I see that everybody is sort of projecting their own emotions and stuff at everybody yeah, else. Yeah, And I, I think, and and then they're creating these stories for why their emotions are okay, right? Or, or why their emotions are reality. And I feel like over time, we're all becoming more and more aware of our programming, and and I love it how the the, the public mm. like consciousness is 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 more accepting of um us like uh, uh, of things like mental health and mm-hmm. talking about our emotions because a lot of people this is going to be a bit of a ramble my bad but a lot of people oh, go for it. like <laughs> a lot of people put the i think like the intelligence and logic into that part of your brain that's talking mm-hmm. and then they put everything else like emotions and all that as like noise or like that's what poker players do. Right. Yes. And they try. And and the thing is, it's actually a very wrong way of looking at it. I Mm -hmm. think, I think that our emotions are informing us of many things 
And that that little voice that everyone thinks is like them is actually very limited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mainly meant to uh, be a break. It, it's supposed mm. to um, override things. And um, the, the majority of like how humans make decisions and stuff are, are kind of like emotions and automatic. Right. And it's one facet, that kind of the ability to think logically. And I think we misunderstand logic a lot of the time. And we think it's something that is like immutable. It is one thing. It's like the idea of like the true truth. <laughs> and that almost never exists. And what we think of as being like objectively true, a lot of the time actually isn't. But but it feels so much safer, I think, to say, no, this is objectively true. This thing that I believe is true and therefore I'm able to act in certain ways and I don't have to feel whatever about it. Like, I think we do. I think you're right. I think we rely too much on the idea of logic and I don't even think it is actually logic a lot of the time. No, no. Yeah. I think hmm. that we have an actual, like, like a very advanced system. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's multi-part. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and I really do value um, having the whole system work together. And, yeah. um, the other thing is that for, for real peak performance for me, I believe that, that having like a clear, serene and, and sort of masterful mindset is mm-hmm. really important. Hmm. And I think if you're, um, if you're not focusing on, uh, your mental health and all that kind of stuff, like I, I think it can creep into your game big time too. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think we try to compartmentalize things in a way that doesn't really serve us a lot of the time because mm. it does creep in and then we're just not looking for it so we don't see it. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. and then it just like like that's what happens. Um I, okay, I think this is actually a good time to talk about this one experience I had. Good. Okay. Um I went to a 10-day silent retreat. I've been to two twice. And um like uh, the first three days you're doing breathing meditation, it's just like all day meditation. There's no talking, no eating past noon. There's no reading. Oof. It's just meditation. Huh. And um, like day three, I just got hit with these like the most intense loneliness and depression that I could ever experience. Like it, that, those are the words that I tried to call it, but it was mm-hmm. like, I was on fire with, with loneliness. Like I, 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 I thought I was drugged or something. And I eventually, I went to the teacher cause you can talk to the teacher. And I was like, I was crying and I was like, mm-hmm. this is so painful. Like, I think I may have to go. This is, this is insane. What, what is this? And, huh. um, the teacher was like, oh, in my opinion, you're doing wonderfully. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and he's like, listen, um, there are these things, um, sankaras, and it's all the stuff that you push down, all those emotions that you don't listen to or you mm. ignore. Um, and they come to the surface when you do this breath meditation. It's like a, it's like a drill. And um, what you're feeling right now is like, water on hot coals and then eventually you you pour water on the coals and no more steam comes up but right now what you're experiencing is is the release of all that negative emotion Hmm. and um i mean it was it was a it was probably the most powerful experience of the of the the 10 days just because i got a lot of insight into the pain of other people right um 
because it wasn't something that I was used to feeling. And, and, um, I also, it, it also got me through the rest of the retreat because huh. I was like, at least I'm not feeling like that. <laughs> so, um, the point, I guess, the, the, why that reminded me of that story was that, um, that idea of like pushing things down and like thinking that you're letting them, you're just mm. um, getting by them, but really they, they sneak up in other ways. They do. And they don't stay down forever. So yeah. Well, how did that change things for you afterwards? Like, did you notice any kind of change in yourself and the way you approached life after the retreat? Honestly, um, a little bit, but not as much as I would have, uh, as I thought, like mm-hmm. they recommended that you do like two hours a day of, of meditation like, afterwards. And that lasted for one day. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they should probably shoot a little lower than that. Yeah, that's um, a high bar. Like, mm-hmm. mm. I mean, I guess they just figure if you're down to go 10 days, you can do. But like, right. finding two hours in a busy day is not the same as scheduling out 10, uh, 10 days of your life to, to no. do something intense. Um, I think overall, yeah, I mean – if I think about like what it was like to be me 15 years ago as compared to right. what it's like to be me now, just like the volume of my brain is, is, is lower. And, um, I'm just, um, happier and more grateful. You right. Know? So here's a question for what in your life do you feel the most grateful? Um, love. Nice. I mean, like, my for me, my ability to experience and feel love for others is mm. is, is my reason for living, and I, it's really, I'm 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 lucky in that I can feel it pretty, pretty easily, and so right, it's uh, it is actually um my higher power mm. is is like is love. I believe it it, it it's the most powerful, and I I. Before I act, I, I often try to think, like, am I coming from a place of love right now? Huh. The thing is, though, self-love is important as well, right? So, like, yeah. sometimes I can, when I'm trying to live by that kind of motto, um, mm-hmm. it can be confused for, like, um, letting people manipulate it or um, walk over you. And that's right. not what... That's not what I try to do either, right? You have to love yourself and also set your boundaries. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I haven't gone wrong with <laughs> with that <laughs> philosophy. Huh. Well, you know, what do you think would make you feel like you really did your life right? Like if you get to the end of your life and you said, I'm happy with this. You know, is there one thing that's important to you or, or something that you want to be? That makes that happen? Honestly, just, just like, just someone that made people's lives better. Mm-hmm. Like no, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing too grand or <laughs> anything like that. Uh, yeah. Like, I just want to know that I, that I contributed more than I took. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really great, like, purpose in life. And it's like that whole thing about when you go out into the forest and they say, you know, make sure that you, all you leave is footprints and all you take is pictures. Like just you make an impact, but you don't leave your mess behind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's that's what I'd like, you know, and that's, 
Um, <clears throat> I, I guess I got like my life sort of showed me this because mm. um, I've 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 had other higher powers before. You know, I've had mm-hmm. other. Um, you know, like when it was like money and fitness, um, I, I got those things when I, when I was like super, like, I remember in like 2009, I, right around the time we met, actually, mm. I was like super into fitness and, um, working out twice a day and just like super intense about poker, which I still am. But, um, and I got like, I had a great year. I made like a million bucks in a year and a half and um, lost like a hundred pounds. And like, I literally thought that if that happened, if those things happened, that my life would be like perfect. And then those things happened. And I realized I was kind of stuck with me still. I was still anxious. I was still uh-huh. like obsessive, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, um, I guess what I realized, um, was that like money doesn't, money doesn't really change my happiness as long as I'm, I'm, I'm taken care of. Right. Um, as long as like, I don't have to worry about anything. Um, having excess money doesn't change much. Um, and then like fitness didn't, didn't really do much for me and the ability to get like, um, a mate or whatever. It doesn't, doesn't actually change my happiness. In fact, it probably makes me more like, um, obsessive too. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think over time I just realized the only thing that really was important in the end when I died is like, how much love I was able to give and receive, you know, and, 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 yeah. and like, and how many people whose lives I helped get better and build. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's, that is the goal. Um, also though, I want to like have a fun life. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's another question. We're going to get through a couple of these now. Um, what is one of your most treasured memories? Do you have anything that like, is almost kind of like your mental happy place somewhere that you go to remember that great feeling? Um, yeah. Um, I think it was after like a first couple weeks, like streaming, like there were thousands of people watching me cause I, I had a nice run and, uh, I was being honest about who I was. I was just like, like, mm-hmm. and I was getting so much positive feedback and I just had this realization that like, um, I just, it was a moment where I realized, wait, you actually are a good person. <laughs> like you are, <laughs> you, you are worthy of love, you know? Yeah. And for a long time, I wasn't, I, I didn't know that because yeah. I, I've had addiction in my life and I've, I've, I've screwed up in a lot of ways, you know? And, and um, just, just realizing that like, like, um, that I had a moment after streaming and, and, um, like it was like playing these two five K's and having like 5,000 people watching within like two weeks. Um, I just had this moment where I felt like I arrived and I can't really, <laughs> you know, I want to say like it was when I won a million dollars or when I did this, or when, you know, but really it was like that specific emotional moment when I realized like, um, that I don't know that, that I'm okay, basically. (laughs) Right. That's Um, kind of a big deal. Like, and they do tend to happen in, 
in, in times, I think, where we're not really expecting that. Like, it's not the grand moments in our life, those massive achievements and all of that. It's kind of that more quiet moment where you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> That's Yeah. It was like, I'm getting all this reflection back from who I am. I'm putting out who I am. And what I'm getting back is like mm. all this, this amazing, like, um, positive feedback. And, and it was so much positive feedback at once that I actually mm-hmm. told myself, I was like, okay, I don't need any more. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm good. As far as approval goes, I'm good for life. Like, yeah. you know, like, wow. but actually it's not true. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> true, but, yeah. Damn. I'm here bragging about a 10 day silent retreat, but you've kind of been on like a two year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been intense. I've learned a, a ton, but my God, it was hard. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, I don't tend to shy away from things that are hard, but this was, um, that was a lot. It was 489 days without kind of seeing someone from my own life, except for the people that I was living with. So, you know, my family, my friends, it's a long time. I mean, and, and, it was your your mom, right? Too, which is um, yeah, that's a long time. Like yeah, so it's a lot of time with yourself, though, right? It was, except that to be honest, because I had a toddler going into it, mm. <laughs> so it was like a one and a half year old who's now nearly four. So I didn't really get almost any time to myself for a lot of it, and that was kind of the intense part for me because I actually really like being on my own. Like uh, for me, I, I mean, I really love people and I really love to interact, but I, I, I do get really tired also. And I, me you too. know, yeah. Um, and so for me, it was just kind of intense to be constantly also constantly kind of helping someone else out with their needs. Like one and a half year old mm-hmm. toddlers <laughs> have intense needs <laughs> and yeah. they have no ability to like have patience or anything and they need everything they need and they need it now. And that was kind of my job. And without, you know, a lot of, without childcare help or anything that was not available during the pandemic because she had this lung condition and, and right before the pandemic started, she'd actually been in the hospital um, because her lung had stopped working. And like, so, so you have like double scares, triple scares. Exactly. Like it was terrifying going into a, a respiratory pandemic with this kid who was super vulnerable, um, who obviously just means the world to me. So yeah, there were a lot of lessons over the last couple of years and I'm still kind of, I think it's going to take me a really long time to, to process them, even as slowly kind of getting back into the world and back into life and it's yeah, it's uh it's been really intense. A lot of change. So, a lot of change. I mean, I can't imagine anything more terrifying than a threat to the thing that you love the most in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. That, I mean And yeah. especially with so little information. Mm-hmm. Like if you know what you need to do to keep something that you love or someone you love safe, then you do it and that's okay. But when it's this like massive kind of gray cloud of we're not really sure. You know, make the best choices you can, but without almost any information. It's just terrifying because, I mean, especially yeah, as a poker like player, to... information's so important. <laughs> There's also, yeah, like I don't, I hate the. I mean, to be honest, I think we're all just. There's a lot more of it than we we pretend like there is, but I hate the feeling like the feeling of the unknown. Yeah, like, like 
I just remember <laughs> as a kid that used to get in a lot of trouble sitting in the principal's office and just being <laughs> and like really hating not knowing which thing they caught me for. Right. Um, <laughs> <'cause>, like, <laughs> I, you know, once, once I get the detention or the suspension uh, or whatever, I can deal with it. I can start planning for how, I'm yeah. gonna, you know, sell it to mom <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> just, but like the, 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 the waiting in the office was, um, the agonizing part for me. Yeah. Yeah. That is really difficult. And I think the last couple of years, not just the pandemic and not just having, you know, suddenly having this toddler that I needed to take care of as well. Like that was, it's weird. I mean, I've been an adult for a really long time and all of a sudden, like I'm a parent. So that was kind of weird on top of that. But then there were all these other things that came into it. You know, we ended up isolated on a farm because of lockdown where we'd gone there, like a few days right before lockdown without knowing that it was coming and spending 200 days there instead of two weeks. Um, so oh that was kind of wild. Yeah. That was, was super nice wild. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And we were yeah. super lucky to be there because, you know, we could yeah. go outside whereas people from where we normally would live couldn't literally leave their houses except mm -hmm. for one hour a day. One of the people in the family could go for one hour a day to do something oh gosh, necessary. Cool. It's wild. So like super lucky for that. But then also living in a place where the heat constantly was going out in the winter and the AC was going out in the summer and it's super hot and it's super cold. Or we had like two gas leaks where in the middle of the night, the firefighters had to come all masked up to like do things. Oh, and then wow. we had to have all the gas in the building shut off because they couldn't fix it. So that was weird. So it's like, okay, I have to get a new stove, but it's Italy and you can't get anything. And it took like six months to get a new stove. <laughs> so we're using like a camp stove for six months and that was bizarre. Oh yeah. And then after we got back from the farm, we realized that some pigeons had made a nest in one of the windows while we were at the farm. And so there was this huge mess that needed to be cleared up and I found out that I'm allergic to them. <laughs> and I found out because it, it looked like I had measles and we couldn't figure out why. And so we had to have the whole place fumigated like multiple times. <laughs> and so Dang. at some point, and then I, now I've been waiting for eight months, I think, for my apartment to be renovated, to have a kitchen put in, to have a bathroom put in, to have the walls that are broken from like old earthquakes fixed. And, and it's finally going to be done. But that kind of exercise in waiting for eight months has been, it's been really strange. I don't know what it's done to my brain, but <laughs> it's done something. And I, I think it will take me a little while to kind of figure it all out. I mean, for sure, all of that stuff is like kind of crazy making. If yeah, you ask me, like totally. First of all, um, I don't think most people even realize this, but I think you use other human beings to regulate your emotions. A lot. Oh yeah, like, I realized it so much th um, through the silent retreat because, like, a lot of the thoughts that I had or the stuff that was driving me crazy, I knew if I just went to somebody and got to talk about it, I could just it would just drop right. It's right. Like, um, so you don't have that outlet. You don't have home. You don't have right. roots. No. Nope. I mean, those are the things that I need the most, right? Yeah, <laughs> that, exactly. That, that really for, for me to feel stable and, yep. um, and just that peace, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've definitely had some uprooted periods in my life though, but like, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. That was that was, I think, the hardest part. Like, there was no feeling of sanctuary anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, the world was a really scary place, and we couldn't figure out quite what was happening there because, you know, all the information wasn't there. And then home was this place that did not feel 
comfortable. If it actually, for a lot of it, I felt like Italy had become actively hostile towards me. And that was a terrible place to be because, I mean, you think that and then you can kind of create that as well in your head. You, you start mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make that happen. And I knew that. So I, you know, I was really lucky that I, I was able to, um, to talk to someone, you know, I was able, cause you know, talking about the person that you remind me of when they were killed, I actually started seeing a therapist. That was kind of the first time that I did that because I needed to deal with the trauma and the, you know, the, the grief and all of that. And I was able to actually contact that person and by Skype do some work on it and be like, look, this is a weird situation and I really need some help getting through it. And it, it meant actually not getting stuck into that idea that, yeah, Italy was hostile or that something, you know, I don't know, like kind of solidifying that in my brain. And I was really grateful to have that help to kind of push through it. And I don't know, I think, I I think I'm a better person. Like I like myself and I feel a lot more like you were saying about kind of the extra noise in our heads. I feel like there's a lot less of that and I'm really Mm -hmm. grateful for that. So it definitely pushed me to do some things and be some things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. And it was not comfortable. But I, I'm glad I came out the other end of it like this. So yeah, I think I think all, um, I think most growth happens right outside your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. It can be too outside though, where it just it's just bad. Right? Yeah, <laughs> where something just like not good for your life. Mm-hmm. But right outside the comfort zone, even enough to where it's causing you significant pain, mm-hmm. if you can learn from it. Um, like it sounds like you, uh, were forced to look at some things that you, you didn't want to look at before Totally, and you got some integration in your life. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's so. largely positive. Oh, for sure. And I think if I hadn't had my little girl, I may not have had, like, I might not have done so well at it because I was very conscious that like as one of the very few inputs in her life, <laughs> like she was not able to see a lot of people or do anything really at all. So I didn't, I didn't want to be kind of showing up in this weird, angry way. You know, I was really conscious of kind of who I was being with her. And so it kind of forced me, I think, to to start meditating as well and to do some mm-hmm. things that were going to help me be a parent that I wanted to be. And that was really hard too, because I I had to kind of mourn that I wasn't going to be able to be the parent that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Because if you're like 24-7 with a child, it can be really difficult to like mm-hmm. get your head straight and be who you want to be and feel like a real person and an adult and all of those things. And so I had to kind of mourn that. And I've heard that from a lot of other parents too, like you just don't get to be the parent you wanted to be because of the pandemic. And that's hard because you don't get that time back, but mm-hmm. you know, it definitely but pushed me to be a different kind of good parent. So you also sound like a perfectionist to me. Oh, um, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be, that'd be accurate. Um, well, because I can relate to a degree. Right. Yeah. Because like once I decided that I was going to try to live my life, like, um, more spiritually, more in, in the direction of, of like the next right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was like, okay, I'm, I'm really living my life well without being like harmful or to right. anyone like, like, but it was when I was like, um, living on my own and like not having that many interactions. Then when I got Ooh, a partner, yeah. um, that was around me all the time, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm at, you know? and, and, um but like part of it is that um 
like stuff like poker or like streaming, I don't feel comfortable showing like some of my more negative emotions streaming. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm done, like I can, I'm like, don't talk to me for a little bit because <laughs> I'm like, I'm just really, um, I have this sort of um, energy and it's really easy for me to, to accidentally throw it at my partner. And then right. at least when I see it though, I'm like, Hey, that was all me and not you. Sorry. Right. Um, Cause you know, like you'll be in a bad mood and then like the person that you, you're around will do something and you'll yep. find some reason why that's bad or annoying, but it's really about uh-huh. your bad mood. You know, Completely. Yeah. Oh <laughs> and, yeah. But um, being able to see that is, is good. I mean, I know I've been that in, in the past as well, where I've not seen it, where it just always has been their fault. <laughs> and that's not fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think the thing though, is that like, it's actually never their fault. Like if you're feeling wow. a certain way, like there are, there are reactions that, that are, that are understandable and mm-hmm. they explain your emotional response to something. Right. But what's going on with you is always just going on with you. Yeah. That's a tough <laughs> you know I mean? lesson. That's such a hard one to, to like, consistently have going on, I think. Yeah, I I think, I think so too. Um, But I do think that like meditation and also Mm -hmm. the process of, of having to talk out my, my life (laughs) more like able to sort of um, reflect and see, see what's going on. Right. Also, I had, um, when I was in, like in recovery big time, like nine years ago, I went to treatment. Actually, tomorrow mm-hmm. would be my nine years um, free of alcohol and hard drugs. Wow. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. That's a huge thing. Oh, wait. My bad. But I got that wrong. Uh- <laughs> I had two separate <laughs> dates. But um, it's it's we're coming up on it anyway. Yeah. But like, um, regardless, uh, shit. See, the drugs and alcohol, they, they left their mark. <laughs> I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had I had like, oh yeah, I, I, I didn't view myself for a while because I was mm. like, I punted money like four times where I just got like completely messed up and blew mm. my whole account playing games that weren't mine. Like, like, and I, like I was really bad on that stuff and, and I was Ugh. just trying to look back and like be like, what the fuck did I just do that all for? Mm-hmm. Like, how am I here? What's going on? And so I started not viewing myself as reliable. Right. At least when it came to that kind of thing. And I started a practice of asking four or five people before I made any big move in my life. Wow. And that process is actually, if you pick your people right, mm-hmm. um, really good actually right. for everything because you hear the you hear the same thing over and over again yeah you, rarely do you do you hear multiple <sighs> different opinions it, it, it's almost always from the outside this the there's there's often a clear course yeah huh and i think our internal voices because we get so emotionally attached to one way or the other can really muddle that Like if we're just listening to ourselves, it can be easy to make choices that do not serve our best interest for sure. Oh my gosh. I mean, like I can, I can, I'll tell you what, like (laughs) this is embarrassing, Mm. but like I can rationalize a shitty decision, right? Yeah, for sure. Me too. I I even, I even like really didn't pay attention to my rule with the the ask five 
people thing. Yeah. So I decided that I like wasn't getting anything done in the gym a while ago. This was like a long, long time ago. And like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do testosterone. I'm going to do a bunch of testosterone and get like really big in the gym. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to do my five. I'm going to, I'm going to ask people if this is okay. You know, right. I call five people. They're like, Nope, sounds like a bad idea. Nope, sounds like a bad idea. I call one other guy who's like, I guess it's not that bad of an idea. Oh no. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's do it. Boom. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I mean, I, it was actually a bad idea and I didn't, I didn't stick, to, right. stick with it. But uh, the point is that like, um, you have to listen to what they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if yeah. You're, if you're going to, um, do that. But hmm. yeah, I, I think for me, like not knowing if I could like trust myself and, and my yeah. own instincts was, was pretty helpful. Now though, it's, it's kind of come full circle where I'm learning to, to trust myself and, um, know that if my orientation is right, like if I know that I'm coming from a place of love and trying to, mm-hmm. to do the best job I can, that I can't really mess up too bad. Nice. Yeah. Do you, would you say that you have any um, big fears? Because one of the questions that I usually ask is kind of what is your biggest fear? It sounds like you're in such a good place. Do you still have things that kind of, that trigger that fear for you? Yeah, I think I think that there there are parts of me that that I'm like I'm, I'm my biggest fears are like rejection and embarrassment, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and and I think that actually I heard something in you that I think is is kind of similar, mm. um, in that like you said that like you you like your alone time and I I do too, and yeah, it's because I I sort of feel like I lose myself when I'm with yeah. other people too long. And part of it is because I spend too much time constructing the performance of John. Right. And what people expect, what they want, what they might need even. And if you see people needing things, then it can be difficult to not fill that, I think. Yeah. So, exactly. It's not not fully a performance. It's also that you're um, a person that cares about another person and their experience and what's going on with them. So, so obviously, they're going to take energy. Right. Right. It's not just like, I, I sometimes give myself too much of a bad, like spin on things, <laughs> but, um, like, I don't know. I like what I'm learning from streaming because, you know, you just go there for like 10 hours. Like you can't just filter yourself completely. Yeah. Is that like, that's what I was trying to get at is that like, I'm just rambling talking and people are still hanging out with me you know yeah <laughs> like yeah and they've seen a lot of different parts of me and they're still hanging out with me and that's what i'm trying to learn is that i mm. like don't need to perform i that that just being me is mm-hmm. enough and just being me but like also being genuinely concerned and caring for others mm-hmm. but what they think about me is actually like irrelevant in none of my yeah business. That's a that's a big thing to learn. I'm still working on that one. You are right. Oh, yeah. you're, you're, <laughs> your your assessment of that is entirely right for me. Yeah, because the idea of streaming, because <clears throat> I was asked to start streaming. Uh, this is a few years ago for something, and I just was like, no, I can't. Like, I I, I just can't. <laughs> I find that terrifying. The whole idea of it. Um, but I can see the value in it. I really can. Yeah. Um. It, it was one of those things that I was sort of pushed into doing because I was I had back up against the wall. Yeah. And um, like, 
I had this product that, that like I had no way of selling and like mm. I had um, GG had banned me for like no reason. Ugh. And I just didn't know like how I was, I had a pretty high overhead in my life, like probably like, you know, a little under a hundred K a year. And yeah. I had people I was employing and I was like, Oh gosh, like how am I going to um, keep this up? And, and mm-hmm. Jordan BBC, from BBC poker was like, Hey, I, I, I like your products. I like working with you. And, and like, but if you stream, this is what's going to blow this up. You should just try it. Yeah. And then the first night I streamed, I, I won a tournament for like 30,000 and had like, damn, you know, like 600 people watching at one point. And then Oof. the very next week, I got deep in two $5,000 tournaments at the same time and <laughs> online. And like one was a million for first, the other was 800,000 for first. And I had like 5,000 people watching me all of a sudden. Damn. It was, it was, um, I'm kind of dealing with child star syndrome now. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're like we're, well, why don't they love me anymore? But, um, <laughs> yeah, this is one of the reasons that I I didn't want to get into streaming because I, I would struggle with that for sure. Because the numbers oh, yeah, can be like, really like, big like, and then go down and then it's like, what have I done or is it not? Or like, it's totally. a lot. It's why I try to stay away from social media in general. Yeah. But then yeah. like... I'm, I'm start again. I'm just like trying, trying to learn, like to, Mm. to value myself, um, and to, to realize that I can't be perfect. And, um, that like, actually like the more I relax and just act like me, the Mm -hmm. more people just kind of like that actually. (laughs) Yeah. And if I'm trying to like, uphold some kind of image or whatever Mm. that's like that's pretty fake yeah and and people can feel it for sure like i think i I feel like i can and yeah even like um that's kind of what i listen to um or listen for with people Mm. is is uh just someone that's genuine for the most part um and uh yeah, it's been nice to, to see that, like, the more I relax and act like myself, um, it it doesn't seem to have too much in the way of, of consequences. So No, well, it's pretty magnetic, to be honest. Like, even just talking to you, warmth, like, it's there. There's so much warmth, and and it does feel like a, you know, a good place to open up or to, to ask questions or to answer questions. Like, it does, it comes across incredibly oh, thank you. warm that, and that, yeah that makes like me feel welcoming good. <laughs> yeah no i, I um, appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> um that that's that's like what i'd like to be it's yeah. funny because like in person i think um i mean i think i'm pretty warm in person too but like yeah it was it's funny like I guess people are so used to me um, online that like so many people like came in heavy with the hug at the World oh. Series. Like, I was like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> this is, this is, That's this a is lot a of lot. touching. <laughs> <laughs> okay, people. <laughs> okay, we're doing this. Okay. Wow. Like, <laughs> Man. But you know what? Like I, I actually just like, I like hugs. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, but like at the same time, it, I just wasn't ready for it at first. And I was like, Man, Oh, yeah. Um, uh, that's how I want people to feel. Like, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that right now in the world, a lot of people aren't feeling safe. Um, yeah. And I, I hope 
that on my stream at least that people like can kind of relax and enjoy mm-hmm. um the poker and the fun aspects and just yeah. be themselves that's kind of what i'm going for it's a good place you've created and yeah i think it's appreciated by a lot a lot of people and speaking of appreciation i i genuinely appreciate you coming on and just being so open um i feel like i feel like we could do this for a whole nother hour <laughs> quite happily oh, we done yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, we need to have a part two because that I we I feel like we barely scratched the surface. But yeah, yeah, that was it. That was our last question. So, damn. Oh my gosh. I know. Um, well, hey, I had a great time talking to you, and Thanks, I would love too. to do this again. Yeah, I think we might have to. We have to start getting yeah some longer ones or uh, or a second episode because that was great. Um, so I I. For- I, I I enjoyed this myself and I hope we get a chance to, you know, catch up in Vegas too. That'd be really nice. I would love that actually. Um, yeah, I'm going to be there for the, for the main event, not the day ones, but from then on I'll be there and, you know, with my little microphone, but I put my name down for a hug (laughs) or a fist bump. (laughs) Either way is fine. (laughs) Oh, so. Well, I can't wait. And I'm sure you're going to be amazing. Like everyone loves you. Ah, uh, well, I hope so. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, it feels like a lot to kind of live up to. Like I haven't done it in a while, but I am, I'm really excited to kind of try again, you know, like to get out there totally. and, and do my job. So, mm-hmm. oh, it feels so good. It feels like such a relief to even to say that I'm going to be there. So <laughs> the thing is, you, the thing is you really don't have to try that hard. Yeah. Like, like you just yeah. like, you make people, you also do the exact same thing. Like you make people feel good about talking about themselves, feel ah. comfortable and it's just something you don't have to work hard at doing, or maybe you do. It doesn't seem like it though. <laughs> maybe <laughs> so. I should work a little less hard at it. So, <laughs> yeah, my producers always tell me that prepare a little less, try a little <laughs> less hard. It's going to be fine. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Um, and, you know, thank you again for coming on. Thank everybody out there for listening. I really hope that you all feel like you know the person behind the cards and behind the stream even better now. And join me next time on The Heart of Poker, sponsored by 888 Poker.